The Herstory tours were organised by Louise Mickeljohn and Fiona Watt. Such walks have been growing in popularity in many parts of the world and seek to redress the patriarchal imbalance. They wanted to show that the contribution women had played in the history of Portobello was much greater than most people today would think. And, as Fiona explained, people like composer, concert pianist and teacher Helen Hopekirk were very famous in their day, though in her case in the US rather than here, but are now largely forgotten. I first, like you, became aware of Helen because of that plaque in a Portobello High Street that just said, pianist and composer lived here, and that piqued my interest. I wanted to find out more about her for our Women of Portobello History Walk. So yeah, we found out that she was indeed a very famous pianist and composer. She attended Windsor Lodge School in Portobello and played the piano in public there at 12. And then she went on to study music and debuted at age 18 in 1874 with the amateur Edinburgh Amateur Orchestral Society. And then went on to compose lots of works for piano, violin. And then she went, at 27 she went to the USA and joined the Boston Symphony Orchestra and became a teacher while continuing her performance career. But she was also married, but ended up as, as the main breadwinner of the family. That's right. Unfortunately, her husband had a fairly serious accident in the early days of their marriage, so she became the breadwinner of the couple. It seems like she went to the United States because she thought she'd have a better chance of developing her career because she was the breadwinner. She had to support them both. She did. She became very successful. But she's actually quite a gallus woman because she was actually performing all the way through her life. That's right. So we found out that her last performance was at the Steinert Hall in Boston in 1939 and she was aged 83. So for any performer to still be performing at that age is quite incredible. Is that one of the reasons why you also like her? Because she does have that character. Yeah. We thought still be performing at the age of 83 made her totally badass in our book. (laughs) Not many people do still perform at that age, let alone women at that time. 1939 be quite unusual. Helen Hopekirk may have been forgotten in Scotland, but as I said, not in the US. Indeed, nine years ago this month, a lecture about Helen and her work was delivered at the Library of Congress in Washington by a man called James Wintle, with a recital of one of her lesser-known song cycles, Five Songs in the Poetry of Fiona MacLeod, a pen name of, guess what, a man called William Sharp. Here's a taste of that event, there's a link in the description, and it is worth about half an hour of your time. From a 21st century perspective, it is hard to imagine a woman in the late 19th century and early 20th century that was so fiercely talented and independent while still maintaining an unusually happy marriage and a successful career as a musician, and yet was not particularly concerned with the larger issue of women's rights. But Helen Hopekirk was a musician first. Everything else was secondary. That was the audacity of Hopekirk. However, Helen Hopekirk is but one of many women who should be celebrated here, as Fiona Watt is quick to remind us. Barbara Norton was a decorator at the kilns at the Thistle Potteries, Buckingham Co. Thistle Potteries, 
The decorators were mostly women, young women, maybe in their late teens, early 20s. They painted the motifs on the pieces that were made in the kilns. When Barbara joined, she decided that the working conditions there didn't seem up to scratch and there was nowhere for them to wash their hands. There was no separate toilet for the ladies. A bit cold and drafty and all the rest of it. So she decided that she would invite a member of the Transport and General Workers Union to come down and check out the premises and they came down and they thought it should be condemned because it was so bad. So Barbara decided to get some of the women there to join a trade union with her and they joined a ceramicist union. But by that time the damage had been done because the TGW rep decided that the conditions were so poor that the people shouldn't be working in them. So we don't know if that led directly to the business being relocated to Creef, but it had probably had something to do with it. If the owner had to spend a lot of money doing up these premises and didn't really want to, it looks like they just decided to relocate. But we liked Barbara's story and we wanted to include it on the walk because we thought, you know, at that time, to be in your late teens, to be standing up for women's rights, for workers' rights, something quite unusual... So we thought she was a bit of a trailblazer in that way and wanted to recognise her on the walk. There's also, moving further along the prom, a hotelier who has, again, to use your own word, a badass approach to things. (laughs) We came across Martha Cook. It's a picture of Martha Cook in a photograph archive online. And we discovered that Martha Cook, she ran the Cook's Hotel, which was just along from the swimming baths. It took up two houses that exist there now. She started the business in 1906 while she was in her 50s and that immediately piqued her interest because that's quite a late age to be starting your own business. But then we found out that her husband died at age 32 in 1881 so we're thinking maybe there was something around his story that enabled her to start a business. Maybe he had an insurance policy out in his head or something or he was in an accident or something like that. She had the wherewithal to open the hotel in 1906 and by all accounts it was quite a posh hotel. You had to pay £152 for a week there. Yeah, is that in current money or that's, that's in... That's well, it would be 35 shillings in the... Um, in, in the in, pre-war period. That's right. And and so, yes, it was, it was considered quite a posh hotel. Sorry, and yet she had boxers staying there at the time when next door you had the boxing booths. That's right. We found out that the park next door regularly housed boxing matches and Martha was known for accommodating these boxers in her hotel. That's where they liked to stay. So she so, must have been a fairly tough woman. Yeah, we think yeah, we think she was a bit of a, a bit of a badass there to <laughs> be able to handle these boxers, but maybe she just did a really good fried breakfast, maybe that was part of it. <laughs> but anyway, that's where they, they liked to be. But there was also a bit of scandal which is not exactly what you expect. Well, yes, there was a bit of scandal. As if there isn't enough scandal in Portobello already. But anyway, and we discovered that in Pitt Street there were two sisters lived there, Miss Grace Corbett and Miss Walterina Corbett, and they were known for writing novels of a decidedly lesser quality and wrote three novels called The Busybodies, of which I managed to get hold of one of them and I, I gave it a go because I wanted to see what they were writing about. And then really they were writing about what they saw, what they noticed of what was going on in Portobello at the time. And they published this book called The Busybodies, which was about people living in an unnamed town, which to anybody reading it was clearly Portobello. <laughs> 
And when the book came out, which was in 1827, the book so angered their friends and neighbours who all recognised themselves in this book that the sisters had to leave town for a while while tempers so in cooled. 1827? 1827, yes, that's right. So um, w- women actually writing a book like that in 1827, again, that is, to use your word, a badass thing to do. Yeah, totally. And also the fact, again, they had to write under a pseudonym, M. Corbett, so they had to pretend to be men. It all harks back to that thing, oh, they had to pretend to be men to be published, which actually has not really changed that much because if you think about J.K. Rowling, she had to publish initially under that name to get boys to be interested in reading her stuff. But yes, they had to write under a pseudonym. How did the tours come about? How did you and Louise Mickeljohn actually get together to organise these tours? Louise is my niece and we were having coffee one day in Portobello and we were talking about the plaque for Helen Hopekirk and asking ourselves why there was only one plaque for women, famous women in Portobello. And we thought that there must be more or people at least with interesting stories. So we decided to go away and dig them up as a lockdown project. That's how it started. So you ended up not necessarily so much with famous women, but notorious women. <laughs> well, we wanted women with an interesting story, but I wanted it, or we wanted it rather, to be more about not necessarily women who did things that would make them famous, but who had interesting stories about their life in Portobello. I think that was more to do with it. But then it turned out that the people that we did feature on the walk did have really interesting stories of trade unionists or composers or writers, suffragettes. I sometimes wonder when you lead a walk like that, whether other people actually feed in and make suggestions to you. Yes, they do. It was very interesting. In one of our walks, there were a lot of people who had lived in Portobello for a very long time, involved in various sort of history things to do with Portobello. And they, very interestingly, fed in quite a lot of information, which is really good for us. The only problem with that is it adds on to your walk, so we didn't want to make it too long, so we had to keep cutting people off because they were just adding quite a bit of time to our walk, but it was really interesting, so we're storing up what they were telling us for maybe like altering our walk a little bit and including some other bits and pieces. But it's always great to hear other people's input, always. Let's hope that the powers who decide on such things get round to recognising the achievements of many more of the women of Portobello. And that's it for another week. As usual, if you've any thoughts about future episodes, then please get in touch through social media or by email to theportypodcast at gmail.com. Finally, let's see you're just a little more of that song cycle by Helen Holkirk. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now. Sweet.